Hey, everybody. It's Kai Rizdahl. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Corner Office Podcast. This time around, well, we're talking about a thing I normally wouldn't have much to do with because it's about zombies, and I don't do zombies. But I made an exception for this one. The Walking Dead originally started out as a hit comic book series written by Robert Kirkman, illustrated by Tony Moore, but went on to be one of the highest-rated television shows ever. The flagship series is now in its 10th season, which is nothing to sneeze at. There's been a spinoff and video games, another spinoff and a movie in the works, which is to say The Walking Dead is now what you call a content universe. And that leads me to my corner office conversation this week. Scott Gimple is the chief content officer for the franchise. He's had that job for nearly two years now. Before that, he was the showrunner for five seasons. We made the trip out to the Walking Dead offices in Burbank up on the 22nd floor. Nice view of the Southern California mountains, ruined, in my opinion, by zombie knickknacks. Yeah, no, look at this stuff on the walls. I am never watching this show. I don't know what these people are thinking. There were also some life-size zombie statues, by the way. We met up with Scott, though, in his personal office, which was, surprisingly, not zombie-filled. Still a work in progress in here. Really? Yes. Because there's like all kinds of stuff on the walls here. Well, but there's a lot of stuff on the floor behind Oh, it. that's true. Do yeah. you guys just move in? Is that the deal? Um, when you do this job, yeah. it takes a while to move in. We've been here uh, almost I two imagine. years. We took a seat and got right to it. We're expecting you. Won't you have a seat? Ready to go to work? Um, thank you for doing this. No, really thank appreciate you. It. Uh, I, I do press, yeah. but the burst of enthusiasm over this has been unlike anything. Oh, good, good. Now I have to confess something. Never seen the show. You know why? Why is that? Because it's freaking scary, man. Come on, zombies. Um, yes, but uh, there's, it's sort of like a, a bracing dive into the pool. You know, you you you're gonna your your first zombie. It's gonna it's gonna hurt, I, but I, then you'll get hooked into the narrative and the characters, and it'll make all of that so much worse. So look, I, I read World War Z mm. by Max Brooks. Right? Yes, loved it. Yes, ate it up. Mm-hmm. Said to myself on an airplane one day, I love that book. I'm gonna watch this movie. Made it two minutes in mm. through that whole car jam and the Tom Cruise thing and the zombies. And I was like, forget it. I'm out of here. Mm. I, you know, we're, uh, we're on Netflix, as is everything will be yeah. one day. And you could fire up that first episode whenever. I will not. I will not. I'm telling you, just watch the teaser. That's, that's, a, that's a minute and a half, two minutes. <laughs> okay. Hit the buzzer. All right. Check out. But I, I, I'd be surprised if it didn't hook you. Against my better judgment, I will say, okay, I'll do that, and I will report back after, after I get it done. Oh, I love this. Uh, I'm, I'm, look, I make no secret about my, my Freddy Katniss. It just... Is it, was there a notable uh, you know, horror moment that got stuck in your head when you okay, were a kid? So, or? so this will not make air, or maybe it will. I don't know. Yeah. I don't get to decide. You remember mm. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Okay. It was the fried eggs? No, it was the, the child catcher. That child catcher dude? Oh yes. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no. And they show that movie to children? Yeah. No, there's 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 uh there's analogs today. Yeah. You know, there's there's Mr. Noodles over on Sesame Street, the kids are afraid of. So <laughs> now you're just funning me. No, no, I'm um, I'm uh, I'm being for real. Uh, I mean I'd say the first horror movement uh, moment rather for me was in Star Wars. Really? And it was just seeing the bodies of Uncle Ben and Aunt wow. cuz there's these charred bodies. You only see them for a second, which is also incredibly yep. artful because, yep. wait, what did I see? Did I just see 
that stuff sticks in your head. And as a kid, you don't want it to when that you close correct. your eyes at night. But uh, but this is different. You you become you become the the audience becomes a survivor too on this show. You know why? Because they're traumatized. All right, I'm going to move off this. Um. I don't. I don't want to make this too uh, grand, mm. but um, you're running an empire here. Yes, that's that's what well, we I do mean, here. I mean, it's it's a television show and mm-hmm. now a franchise. That's right. That has a chief content officer. Yes. Yeah. I. Uh, How did that happen? Because well, I mean, started weird, writing on this show. Yes, right? it's a strange. It's 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 not the title as a kid when you're reading comics yeah. and playing video games and looking at movies. You're like, yes, and one day. Chief content officer. Yeah. But there's somebody who has to work on the narrative throughout all the shows, throughout the movies we're going to do, throughout the specials we do. And there are brilliant showrunners on each program, but I work with each of them to create sort of an overall narrative and and also even just to keep the shows different from one another, to give the audience different experiences. Do you miss being down in the weeds or are you you good with the 30,000-foot thing? I, that's a great question. I was just in Virginia working on the third show and I was there for a couple weeks and I loved it. I loved being on the ground again. I loved, you know, in some cases having to write the words the night before and work with the, the actors moments before I loved working with the departments. It's great. I will say I did that for a couple years before being a showrunner. And then I was a showrunner for five years and I was incredibly hands-on. And I loved it so much that I really did think I needed to try something else. I did believe that The Walking Dead could be more than it even was hmm. at the time. And it was the number one show it for seems, five years in a row. Enormous, yeah. But I came at this show as a fan uh, the first year. Uh, I watched the show. I read the comic before that. Mm-hmm. And... I just knew it could be so much more and I wanted to see those things. That That's what drives me is I want to see those other shows. When I sit down to write something, it's like, I want to see this episode. It'd be great if somebody else could do it. But I love doing it. And regardless, if I get to watch it, it's a win. So you're, I mean, you're a fan of the show, right? Yeah, it's sort of fan in chief, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's it like having your hands uh, on the throttle, if I could mix whatever metaphors we're talking about here, on something that's so culturally huge? Hmm. I, I, you know what? You try not to think about that. Yeah, I bet. I, I, like I said, I started as a fan. So I try to serve that fan. And I know that I, when I was just a viewer, had a great deal in common with the other people who were watching it. I felt the same things. Mm-hmm. I was excited for the next week with the book. Geez, even with the book, you know, the book up until recently was coming out every month while I was working on the show. I was still just a fan of the book. Mm-hmm. I work with Robert. You know, I talk to him every other day. Uh, we work together all the time. And I would say, don't tell me anything about the book. Mm-hmm. I just want to maintain not only that fandom for, I guess, the health of what I do, but also just for just for a little bit of joy, <laughs> just for a little bit of fun on my own. So I think it's about that. It's, it's remaining the fan I always was and serving that person. So what's your, um, what's your, uh, what keeps you up at night? What's the monster, under, <laughs> monster under the bed? If I could 
I think the biggest thing with this show from a narrative point of view, these shows from a narrative point yeah. of view in my job now, from, from like that 30,000 narrative right. point of view, is we, we have to take risks. We, that's serving the audience if you're taking risks. Uh, if you're not taking risks, you're serving yourself. You're tending to a career very nicely, mm. Mm. and uh, you're, you're making sure that nobody's going to criticize you over anything. Yeah. But if you're taking risks, like, are we taking enough risks? Are we pushing harder? Are we trying to make these shows as different from one another as possible? Are we trying to make these movies different from the shows? Are we offering the audience the very reason to have a universe, which is a varied slate of stories? If it's all the same, there's no reason to do it. Okay, but you're messing with um, a fan base which is devoted mm. and interested, and which you need to uh, that you need to follow you across the various stops in the universe. Yes. there's some peril there in risk taking. Absolutely, but I, when I read the comic, Robert did things that shocked me. Um, he sent away wonderful characters mm -hmm. to tell a greater story. And that's how I've approached this. I, to truly serve those fans that you're talking about, we have to take those risks and we have to push ourselves and put ourselves into narrative danger for them or else we're just, we're simply just trying to make them uh, not be mad at us. Hmm. And I, I don't want them to be mad at us, but those moments we've had have resulted from the passion that they've had for the show. And I think the passion that they have for the show is that they sense the integrity behind it. They sense that it's about the story first, that this isn't like some strategic play to manipulate them into happiness with us, but to take them on a huge, huge story that moves them in all sorts of different ways. See, that's so interesting because uh, I was going to follow up here with a question about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars with, with installment nine coming out or, you know, in, at Christmas time, whatever it is. Um, uh, it, oh, it's at Christmas time. Okay. Yeah. All right. It is at Christmas. Yeah, have you I'm, bought your tickets yet? I have not bought my tickets. Right. I am, it's going to be a Sunday morning situation. <laughs> it's going to be like a little hallowed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the you know you you said you don't want the audience to feel manipulated and, I, and I'll tell you what I'm as big as well I'm not as big a Star Wars fan as as anybody but I enjoy it I have a good time but look man they're just trying to sell me a movie ticket because a lot of this is rehash and repeat same thing with the Marvel Cinematic mm. Universe right no mm. all right object if you will um well I mean it's almost like the tone in which you said that where you're like yeah they're just trying to get me to get a movie ticket or well, they're trying to get me to movie ticket which is like they they want you to, I, I mean I see what you're saying we want everybody to be excited to show up and we don't want to bum them out perpetually right. but we don't want to simply just give people exactly what they want just in perpetuity it's there's, there's a weird sort of defending your life heaven sort of situation there uh -huh. where it's like there has to be some loss. There has to be some darkness. And that makes the light so much brighter. That makes, you know, one of the episodes I think about a lot is episode 501. This is, okay, I'm going to spoil yeah, it for you. Uh, yeah, because, you know, assuming I get there. Some of the darkest stuff 
that happened in the show uh, that highlighted some institutional evil. There was just, you know, people who were broken and tremendous horror. And we even learned how the villains themselves were victims. There's cannibalism in the, in the episode. It is, it is, it is a, a tough go. That said, it all results in a beautiful reunion between people who were strangers who never would have even spoken to each other in the world. And they come together and embrace each other with tears in their eyes like family. And to me, that episode 501, in some ways I just want you to start on 501. I was was just going to say, maybe I'll just go straight there. Just because it's, the pilot is one of the most brilliant pilots in history, but 501 (laughs) is, I didn't write it so I can say that. I was a fan. It, It hooked me, but I, you have to go through some sadness to get to the happiness. And I think that's part of what we do. And I think in some ways it makes that happiness that much more real. It, it occurs to me, actually, uh, as you talk about 501 and, and, uh, and the message that you're trying to get across. This isn't really a show about zombies, right? Not a show about zombies. It's a show about people. It's who you become when all of the things that surround us that in some ways make us what we are in this insane world, they all fall away. And we realize we have much, much more in common uh, than differences. And the weaknesses of people, yeah, they bubble up. um, And then these incredible strengths that they didn't know they have bubble up. And pretty much if you're breathing, you're family. Now, it's a bit of a dysfunctional family. I'm going to say that. There are some folks that are some really bad cousins, but it is a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and I think it's an unconscious fantasy of the audience not to have these cell phones, not to have the internet or all of the things that we're shouldered with, all the things that are telling us we're different, we're different, we're different. Um, I think there's this fantasy underneath it that everybody just wants to be on the same team. Where do you want this universe to go? I want us to get different voices to tell very, very different stories um, and offer up people such a variety of entertainment that is a part of just one world um, so that, you know, in 10 years, 20 years, it's all going to be in one place. And I suppose people will pay some sort of amount of money to have it on their digital bookshelf and to be able to pull down all these different entertainments whenever they want. And that they look at these shows as, you know, it can hit any number of their tastes at the time, something a little lighter, something a little weirder, something a little darker, something younger, something older. And... I guess the big ambition I have narratively is that we'll look at all these different entertainments and they will all equal one grand message. Um, And maybe it has to do with the fact that we're all the same. Scott, thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. That's it for my conversation with Scott Gimple from the Walking Dead franchise. His office, by the way, You're going to have to see it yourself. We actually have a video of the interview where you can see all the Walking Dead paraphernalia. It's at our YouTube channel, Marketplace APM. 
Bridget Bodner produces the Corner Office Podcast. This episode with help from Sean McHenry. Nancy Fargali is the executive producer of Marketplace on the Radio. Satar Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. Deborah Clark is our senior vice president and general manager. I'm Kai Rizdal. New episode for you coming up soon.